Welcome to Everything Nonprofit, a podcast where we reveal the secrets, tips, and tricks for leading a nonprofit. My name is Carmen. And I'm Kayla. As nonprofit founders, we know firsthand how challenging and overwhelming it can be to build a nonprofit from the ground up. This is a podcast for nonprofit executives by nonprofit executives. If you need advice on starting your own nonprofit organization or are looking to expand your knowledge of nonprofit operations, stay tuned. On this episode of Everything Nonprofit, we're speaking with Stephanie Roth about creating and nurturing effective boards. Stephanie has extensive experience in the nonprofit world, specializing in fundraising and board development. Stephanie is a principal of Klein and Roth Consulting and has been a trainer, writer, consultant, and coach on fundraising, board development, and other organizational development issues from a social and racial justice perspective for over 25 years. She was a co-founder of the Grassroots Institute for Fundraising Training, an editor of the Grassroots Fundraising Journal, and co-author of The Accidental Fundraiser, a step-by-step guide to raising money for your cause. She lives in Berkeley, California with her wife, Kim Klein, and their cats, Max and Mr. Cuddles. Welcome to the show, Stephanie. Thank you so much, Kayla and Carmen. Glad to be here. We would like to start off by getting to know a little bit about you, Stephanie. You have been in the nonprofit realm your entire life, and you have quite an impressive resume. Do you always know that you wanted to end up in the nonprofit and social justice world? Well, actually, I got my start in in this world probably in college and shortly thereafter. And my dream was always to work for social justice. And in the early days, I really was very active in feminist causes in the women's movement. And my dream job was to work in, in a women's organization. I wasn't so much thinking of the nonprofit sector as a whole, but more about the causes that I cared about. So that was kind of my entry point. And my very first job in that world was working for a reproductive rights organization in New York City, which we've sort of come full circle because now we're in a crisis around reproductive rights and justice, as you know, and it's kind of a challenging time in that way. But yeah, that's that's was my interest. And I've stayed in various kinds of organizations in the nonprofit world ever since. I mean, your your love for social justice is very obvious. And is that what inspired you to start Klein and Roth Consulting? My interest in starting Klein and Roth actually came from meeting Kim Klein, who is now my wife, but we've also been business partners since the late 1980s. And she was actually in fundraising before I was and working in nonprofits. And I joined her in helping publish the Grassroots Fundraising Journal, which was a magazine that was published from 1981 until just a few years ago and was really aimed at small to mid-sized grassroots organizations, some social justice, some worked in the service arena, some in arts and culture. It wasn't just strictly defined as social justice, but it really served the audience of smaller, more grassroots organizations that maybe only had a few staff, maybe were all volunteer run and to help them build successful fundraising programs. So that was how I got started with working with Kim. And then we expanded from there to broader consulting practice, working with groups to help them develop their fundraising programs, help them strengthen their boards, and to write about that work as well. Thanks for sharing that, Stephanie. And from your experience as a consultant, you've gathered a lot of knowledge around crafting and growing effective boards. Let's start from the basics. 
What is a board and what is its primary purpose? So in the sort of simplest terms, a board of directors is a group of people who by law are legally responsible for the health and well-being of an organization. So when a group of people come together and they say, let's start a nonprofit, if they want to go the route of being incorporated, incorporate the organization as a not-for-profit organization, then they are required by law to form a board of directors. And that falls under the federal 501c3 tax code, basically. So if you want to become a 501c3 and you need to organize a board, that's often what initiates that process, right? It's not that people say, oh, we need a group of volunteer leaders. They basically say, oh, we need to follow the law and recruit some people to a board. Federal law requires a minimum of three people to be on a board. And some organizations start at three and they never grow. And some grow to be have quite a few more people than that on their board. The primary purpose of a board is to provide that legal, financial, and really kind of moral or ethical oversight of an organization. So it's to ensure that an organization stays true to its mission, that it follows, you know, legal procedures in terms of filings that are required every year, especially once you start to bring money into the organization and to oversee if and when they decide to hire staff. So that's kind of the most simplest definition, I would say, of a board. That was a, a really thorough explanation. Very detailed. I appreciate that. <laughs> um, so thanks for giving our audience a, a jumping off point. It's a good place to start. So at what point does a nonprofit organization know they're ready to start building a board or if they even need one? So again, you could be a group of people organized to, you know, I was just thinking of a group in, in the Berkeley area called Fix Our Ferals, although I think they changed their name recently. Anyway, they basically find feral cats and they spay and neuter them, right? And that's a group that I'm not sure if they ever incorporated as a 501c3 nonprofit. So they can do their work as volunteers. They can raise money. They can um, even probably hire staff if they wanted. This group doesn't have staff. But so you don't need to necessarily have a board if you're just a, a group of volunteers wanting to make a difference in your community. But once you want to hire staff, raise money, build a, a bigger organization, then you have to start thinking about recruiting a board. I did want to, I think it's really helpful actually to make the distinction. I learned years ago, this, this process, there are two general ways that organizations form. And one is where a group of people, let's say the three of us decide, oh, we want to start a nonprofit and we're all volunteers. And I know the two of you have full-time jobs and you do all this work in your spare time. And we come together and we say, let's do uh, address this problem in our community and we do it all as volunteers, and we decide to form a nonprofit and then raise money and hire staff. So we're the, we're the instigators of the organization. We're the board, and we're the ones that probably have the vision and the, the ideas of how to, how to move forward. Another model, so that's one model. Another model is the three of us are sitting around saying we want to form a nonprofit, but we want to make a living doing this. So Kayla, you want to be the executive director, so you kind of initiate a lot of different work, and you reach out to your friends and people in your circles of, you know, activism or whatever to be on your board, but you are essentially the founder and the executive director. And the reason I make these distinctions is because, generally speaking, when people form a board because they themselves want, it's not that they want a job, but they they want to do this as their kind of a work trajectory, career trajectory, Generally, the board ends up being their friends and people who defer to them. Whereas if the three of us are the board and then we hire someone, we tend to be the ones kind of more directing things, right? And the, the, the executive director, whatever staff person we hire, tends to defer to us. 
So you see the difference. What that means is over time, as you try to create a strong leadership team, a strong board, a strong partnership with staff, those early dynamics get perpetuated and either cause some problems going forward, like, oh, my friends are all my board members, but they're not doing the work I want them to do, and I'm really mad at them. (laughs) Or the board members feel like, well, I'm Kayla's friend, and she's the ED, and so I'm not going to contradict her. You know, so anyway, you could sort of imagine, I think it's just being conscious of what those processes are going to look like, and then being intentional as you recruit. Who do you want to recruit then, so that that partnership is as strong as possible between a staff and a board? I have a follow-up question to that. So going back to example, let's say the three of us wanting to start this nonprofit and we want to get that 501c3 status, can the three of us sit on the board just so we can get that status or do they have to be different people being on the board? No, the three of us could come together today and tomorrow file for 501c3 status and we'd be the three board members. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm, Okay. Yeah. And let's say a nonprofit is ready to start building that board. Where's the best place to look for board members if the three of us don't want to also be board members? So if you're just starting out, it's, it's a very different scenario if you're just starting out than if you're an organization that already exists and wants to find new board members, right? And there's a huge conversation, as I'm sure you've been following, and maybe even podcasting about um a huge conversation about board diversity, right? And what does it mean to have an organization where your board leadership is predominantly white or predominantly men or predominantly older and how do you diversify? So when you're just starting out, it's a, it's a bigger leap to find people because you're asking people to join a board of an organization that's just an idea, right? So three of us had this great idea. Maybe we've even done a few things, but we're not really established. The main people we're gonna find are going to be our friends or friends of friends, or people in other similar nonprofits who care about our cause. So I would say when you're starting out, you're really just reaching out to the networks that you're connected to. Once an organization is more established and they have you know, clients or consumers of their services, they have a, a, a constituency of people they're organizing, they have donors, they have funders, they have maybe elected officials who are supporting them. Then I would say to find new board members, you want to reach out as broadly as possible into your different networks. And often I think people overlook their donors, for example, people who are giving them money, even small amounts of money, but people who care about the cause enough to support you financially to look there. I've seen organizations actually put notices in their newsletters saying, we're looking for new board members. Let us know if you're interested. And to be clear, just because you're inviting people to let you know they're interested doesn't mean they just automatically get to join the board, right? You want to have a process of interviewing and vetting people, making sure it's the right fit. But I do think casting a net widely gives you a better chance that you'll have a diverse and strong board. Those are great ideas. And I really appreciate you distinguishing between nonprofit organization that's starting out and maybe one that's a little more developed further along. So we've covered the when and the where so far, but what about the who? So what personalities or specialities should a nonprofit be looking for in their board of directors? You know, there's always these jokes. There was a, a woman. I can't remember her name now, but years ago did a, used to do a cartoon, a sort of nonprofit cartoon. And um, I'll always remember this one where it talked about, oh, you know, what do we need from a board member? What kind of board members are we looking for? And the final one was just make sure they have a pulse. So it was kind of this joke that 
you know, doesn't matter. Just get some people, get some names on them because really the staff are running the show and the board. We just want them kind of out of our way, making sure that we're not getting into trouble, but otherwise just make sure they're breathing. <laughs> so obviously I know you're not at all thinking I'm going to go there, but I think what's really important, the most important thing when you're looking for a board member, I would say is their commitment to the mission their belief in the cause, their even passion for it, because that goes a long way to people's willingness to do the work. If they're just like, ah, eh, yeah, I'll support you, Carmen, you're a good friend, or I know you're uh, someone who's done great work, I'll follow you anywhere and be on your board, but your cause eh, doesn't move me that much, they're not going to ultimately probably be a very strong board member. So I, I would say that's number one. Then you want to look at the kinds of skills and I'll talk about skills and then personality. So the kind of skills you want on a board, it's always great to have at least one or two board members who have nonprofit experience. Either they've been on a staff or they've been on another board because they understand some of the structural issues, some of the organizational development issues that come up. What is a strategic plan? What's a fundraising plan? You know, they'll have that background. So that's always helpful. Generally, you want someone on your board who has financial experience, who knows how to read a financial statement, isn't afraid of financial statements. You want someone on your board who has expertise in the area you're working on. So if you're working on uh, climate change, maybe have someone who has, you know, is a climate change scientist or climate scientist because you don't want to have the only expertise on the issue be in, in your staff. You want the board to be able to bring that perspective and the connections they may have to that professional world. And then as a fundraiser, obviously, I like it when they're fundraising, people with fundraising expertise, they don't have to be professional fundraisers, but they have to have some experience and, and again, willingness to fundraise. I think everyone should be part of that, but it helps to have someone on your board who has comes out of that background as well. So I think you want to look at the range of skills that are needed so your organization can function well and who have knowledge of the issue. In terms of personality, I would say the main thing I look for is someone who's a team player, someone who doesn't join a board just because they want to put it on their resume. They really feel like being part of a group is something that's compelling to them, that they enjoy interacting with people. They're not lone wolves and they really work together well on a team. And the second thing, and this is actually one of my, I was going to say pet peeves. It's not really pet peeve, but it's something that I've really observed over years and years of consulting how many organizations' challenges and problems are not about because no one raised money or because no one did their job or board members didn't show up, but because people are so afraid of conflict. So you want people who are willing to just say, hey, Kayla, I disagree with you. I, you're a good person. I respect your ideas, but I really disagree with you. And I don't want to go that direction. And then we can actually have an honest conversation of disagreement. Because what happens is when people are afraid to disagree, then instead of it just being a disagreement, it becomes a fight or a, or something where I'm like, oh, I don't like that, Kayla, because she did such and such instead of like, well, we just happened to disagree and we're going to we're going to work it out. So I think people's willingness to address difficult questions and issues is, is a, something I would look for in terms of personality. And going back to your point of commitment, is there usually a contract signed with these board members of the term that they should be sitting on the board one year, two years. I know they do that on leases. Is that the mm -hmm, same thing mm -hmm. for board members too? Yeah, that's that's a good question. Actually, one thing that's really interesting about boards is that there's no uniform like 
if you were to Google, you know, what's the best functioning board of directors, you would find, you know, a million different opinions, right? So there's no one way that a board has to function. There's no one way in terms of term limits or what contracts that people sign. I know boards that have term limits of two years, three years, and some that have no term limits. Like people have been on boards for decades. I do believe in term limits, even if someone serves for two or three years, maybe they renew for another term and then they have to rotate off for at least a year. That gives that person a chance to take a break to see if they really have the energy to come back. It also provides the organization for a way to let someone go. So they have a board member who's just been a little bit difficult, but they not difficult enough to say, I think you should step down. So they leave the board after their term is over and they don't get invited back. <laughs> That's kind of worst case scenario. But yes, Carmen, I, so I think a term, it's important to define what a term is. The reason I say two or three years is because it takes about a year I find for someone to really feel like they get this organization, they've been through a whole year's cycle of activities, and they can contribute a lot more to the organization when they understand it better. So that's why I think two is kind of a minimum. And three is one that I find has worked well with for a lot of organizations. And again, one term you get to renew if you want, and then take a break. You mentioned contracts. I Probably there are boards where board members sign contracts. One thing that I've done with some organizations is have a statement of agreement that's not that's sort of a little milder than a contract. It doesn't sound quite so legalistic as a contract, but where the board member does say, yes, I agree to attend, you know, every meeting, unless there's some extenuating circumstance, I agree to participate in fundraising, I agree to do due diligence and, you know, reviewing board materials before each meeting. I think those are nice to have those so that people are really clear about what they're agreeing to do. Yeah, I think it's super important to have the incoming board members to be aligned with the organization's mission and vision. You don't just want people to be sitting there and to put that on their resume. Do you have any advice for our listeners on what they should avoid doing when putting their board together? Well, again, one thing I would really avoid is giving people an out. So for example, let's say I say, Carmen, um, I just want you to understand that these are the the three main things we ask for board members. One is that, you know, you make sure you're really informed about our agendas before each meeting, that you participate actively, that you uh, attend programs and events, that you're an ambassador for the organization, and that you're willing to support our fundraising efforts. And then you, Carmen, might say, well, I like, I could do everything you just listed, but I'm just, I can't do fundraising. I'm just not willing. And then if I say, well, okay, we'll give you an exception, (laughs) that I think is a problem because if one person says, I don't feel like doing that, then how do we get everyone else to to sign on and, and move forward? So I think we have to play to people's strengths and say, okay, I understand there may be reasons you're uncomfortable with fundraising. Maybe we can find a way for you to participate that's not the scariest thing that you can imagine, but something that, that, that you feel like you can manage. So to kind of negotiate with people, but make sure that everyone's on board with what the sort of minimum requirements are. Well, again, I do think inviting friends to be on the board just because you're, they're your friends is not a good idea unless, again, they share your passion about the mission and are willing to kind of jump in and do the work. So you don't, you don't want to lose friends over challenges in their board service. <laughs> That's good advice. They People might not think about that going into it. So appreciate you pointing it out. This podcast is proudly brought to you by Puget Sound Project Management Volunteers. Puget Sound Project Management Volunteers helps impactful non-for-profit organizations 
achieve their objectives by connecting them with skillful project managers who can aid them in crystallizing their visions, leading project teams, and deconstructing their goals into achievable milestones. This service is absolutely free and can help your nonprofit organization get the extra help it needs so that you can spend more time making a difference in the world and less time on administration. Visit pm-volunteers.org to request the assistance of a project manager 100% free of charge. No gimmicks, no catches, just one nonprofit helping another. So we've very extensively covered everything leading up to the creation of a board, and now we're discussing you know, what happens to bring individuals on. So what about onboarding? Um, I know you've mentioned that a few resources that would be good to have is a statement of agreement. Um, you also discussed very clearly outlining expectations up front. Mm-hmm. Are there any other resources that a nonprofit organization should have available to their onboarding board of directors? Yes, absolutely. I think most organizations, I would say that are, you know, fairly well-developed organizations will have a a board manual and it will include the bylaws of the organization. It will include the budget for the current year. Maybe it will include their recent financial statements, whether they get an audit or not. You know, some organizations aren't big enough to have audits, but an audited statement, if they have that, it will have some description of their main programs. I mean, a lot of this, you know, is online on their website, but I find a, a hands-on board packet is nice for people to be able to look through because not, not all of those materials will be on, on the website. There are many other things. And again, any of these things I'm describing, especially they're specific to, you know, the way boards function, you can go online and say, what should go in a board packet, you know, in a board orientation manual, and you'll get a million things. I, I will actually, I want to recommend Board Source. you probably are familiar with, is a, is a nonprofit itself that has all a, an amazing array of resources on boards, and they'll have sample just about anything you can imagine, and also good descriptions of roles and responsibilities of board members. So that's a place I would go to just kind of figure out what what do I want to put in my board orientation manual. But I think a good orientation is helpful. The other thing about onboarding that I found helpful is having board buddies. So every new board member that comes on gets assigned to a senior, longer serving board member who can help, you know, talk to them out between board meetings and say, hey, was there anything you were, were you lost at some point? Because I know it can be when we start talking in jargon, we can, we can sometimes lose new board members. So having that board buddy system really helps with onboarding process. That's really smart. And thanks for mentioning that resource on boards. We'll make sure that we put that in the show notes. And from your experience working with different nonprofits, what happened some of the most common challenges you've experienced? And how do you help organizations overcome them? Many, many years ago, I went to a workshop that was about how to build effective boards. And the trainer started out with a question. This was in the old days of flip charts in rooms, but she started out writing on the flip chart, describe boards from hell. And everyone just laughed and they made a list of all the things, you know, board members don't show up to meetings, board members don't have good follow through. Um, They refuse to raise money. They arbitrarily fire the executive director when they don't like what the director is doing. I mean, so that people come up with this whole list. And it, it does seem to be kind of a, a common practice, especially for staff to feel very frustrated by their boards, right? It's very common that there's frustration with, you know, boards are 
volunteers. They're giving their time above and beyond whatever else is going on in their lives. And the staff can also often feel frustrated that they're not available, that they're not following through, that they're not providing good leadership. But I've come over time as I've served on boards to see that the challenges go both ways because board members have frustrations with staff as well. And I think it's that partnership. You really always have to be thinking about We talk in fundraising about relationships are key to successful fundraising. Relationships are key to successful board staff relations and board board relations. Really thinking about if someone isn't showing up and isn't following through to say, hey, let's talk about what's going on here. Are you, is there a challenge in your life? Is there something that's bothering you that you're not, you don't feel you can raise to to just sort of dig below the surface of whatever the problem or dysfunction is. Uh, And I think again, People's reluctance to talk about hard things makes people less willing to do that. But going back also to, did the person understand the expectations? Did they think they were just coming on a board and could show up when they felt like it? Or was it really clear these are the expectations? So there's kind of a a lot of dynamics that go on, right? In terms of other common problems that I see, one one I did want to address is one about leadership, because typically boards will have a president or a chair. Sometimes people use the word chair, board chair, sometimes president. I've over time become a fan of a co, kind of like co-directors in nonprofits, a co-chair or co-president role, because it's a lot of work to be the chair or president of a board. It's a lot of work to be constantly in touch with the executive director and maybe other lead staff to constantly be, you know, having oversight of other board members and making sure things are moving smoothly. I was recently working with an organization where the board president probably spent 10 to 20 hours a week being the board president. I mean, that's that's a part-time job. And most people can't afford that kind of time. So one is, do you have leadership, maybe shared leadership, and really helping develop that? Because not every board member is going to be equally engaged in everything, but you do need some leadership to help hold the whole thing together. It's really good advice. And I want to go back to what really struck me is you kind of talked about recognizing the human element in people with like, hey, is there is there something going on? Like when we talk about it, that's something even in my professional career, it just like it makes such a difference because you never know what people are going through beyond the screen that you're interfacing through or the emails that you're sharing or even phone calls. It's just really good to check in with people, see how they're doing. So thanks for that. So before we wrap up, is there anything we haven't asked you that you want to be sure to share with our listeners? You know, I think our work tends to be hard. I think COVID made things harder in a lot of ways and made us more disconnected from each other. And so I would just say to give people the benefit of the doubt, and I'm often someone who gets very frustrated easily. So I have to say that to myself, if something's not going well with how the board meetings are going or how how we're engaging with each other, how the work is getting done, to just say, let's take a deep breath, let's pause and talk about what's going on. Let's talk about what's going on. One thing I think that happens with boards is if, if your staffed organization are so busy with the day-to-day work that the board meetings often feel like a frustrating, like a necessary evil, right? Oh, we have to have a board. Oh, shoot. I have to get ready for this board meeting and get these packets ready for them and materials to prep them. And then they come and they haven't read them anyway. <laughs> to really think, give the board the same kind of time that you give your staff team to really reflect on how things are going. I recommend boards doing annual self-evaluations where they evaluate their own functioning 
and figure out ways to improve so it's not always fighting the staff who are frustrated with you. And I don't mean to say that all boards are, and staff relationships are bad or challenging, but just to be open to you know, figuring out what's going on as, as you go along. Totally agree with that. You want to make it a fun and enjoyable environment so they want to be involved in it, be attending those meetings. I just want to thank you for saying fun because I didn't even use that word yet. And if people don't enjoy their time together, they're they're not going to stay, right? So that I think that is really important. It's those relationships too that become meaningful and they, oh, I want to show up because I want to be in the room with Kayla and Carmen, right? It's, thank you. That, that's really important. And where can our listeners find you and your consulting service online? So you can go to kleinandroth.com. That's K-L-E-I-N-A-N-D-R-O-T-H.com. And our consulting group is there total of four of us now because Kim, my partner has, is actually retired, but there are four others of us who do all kinds of consulting and coaching and training, and we'd be happy to hear from any of you. Excellent. Well, Stephanie, it's been such a pleasure speaking with you. Your expertise is, is very, very deep, and it's just been great to hear everything that there is to learn about creating a strong board of directors. So thank you so much for being on our episode today. It was great speaking with you. Well, thank you so much. I really enjoyed our conversation. If you don't already, please follow us on Spotify, subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating and review and share this episode with your friends. Thank you for listening. Until next time.